And before I get into all this, I just, I, I, I want all of you to hear that um, certainly we've heard the message at the table that Christ values you enough to die and um, suffer for you, but that you matter to us as a community too. This is God's people in equity, and we are not perfect in that. We are sometimes messed up and broken in that. Anyone who's honest here will say that. But I am, as your pastor, committed to the idea that we will continue towards, to work towards injustice, work against injustice. We will work towards justice, work to make things new in this world, and that if you are a victim of injustice, then we are a victim of injustice. Um, I'm also just very mindful that in our church there are more than a few law enforcement members. And we pray for you. We pray God's wisdom for you. We pray God's encouragement and protection for you. We know that your work is hard. And we know that there have been people in the past who have given your work a bad name. And unfortunately, now many of you have been looked on by others as people with a bad name. We pray that God will continue to make this whole thing new and that God will use you to do it. We pray that God will guide you in the work that you do to keep you safe, but also guide you as you try to address injustice in your work as well. I pray for protection, and I'm also very mindful that there are people in this church of a different race or ethnicity than I am, and that your experience so often in this world is very different than mine, and I can seek to empathize how hard that is. But I will also say that I don't fully understand I want to understand more, and we want to understand more, because I think that God has put that calling on us. We don't know everything. That is one thing that has become abundantly clear with every video that has been released. We don't know everything. There's always more facts that come out, right? There's always more information that we hear from stuff. But for us to go into whatever dialogue we have about race or law enforcement with that ideal right from the beginning, we don't know everything. And allow God to speak to us about his truth. Because he is the all-knowing God. He is the God who has this whole thing, this country, this situation, every situation, every one of us, us as his people, he has it all and he knows it all. And as we submit ourselves in humility to him and listen with ears to hear and eyes to see that in our not knowing everything, that if we listen to him his guidance, his spirit, and his word to us first, that's a whole lot better than opening up social media or Fox News 
or MSNBC or whatever it is that we read or listen to because that's not the full truth. It never is, but he is. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the light. Okay, end of sermon, you can all go home. No, I worked on other stuff. But I mean that seriously, and I want us to be reminded of that as we interact in the fellowship hall and all the stuff that we do in the weeks to come. We are God's people. Let's seek his truth first. I uh, give God praise for the last couple of weeks that several people were willing to step in and um, uh, cover the pulpit. Brian Vanderteig and the message that he brought you was powerful. Mario, great job, buddy. Uh, it was fun to watch uh, the, your, your message, and you did, um, you did good work. I'd give you a, a solid, we'll say a solid A-. minus. We got some stuff to work on, but hey, man, I, I know CBU, that wasn't always the case, so you're doing good. You're doing good. Proud of you, very, very proud of you, and look forward to what God will do uh, with you from this pulpit in years to come. Uh, We're going to continue our series, take up our series again on the city of God. Psalm 87 is where we're going to be this morning. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles there. Of course, the passages will be on the screen, but, and that's actually, I want you to open your Bibles because that's in prep for this fall. Prep this fall, uh, we're going to be doing Project 119, and I'm really seriously considering that we do not project scripture on the screen during Project 119, because I want you to all bring your Bibles. I want you to have God's word open in front of you. That's sort of the focus of the whole series, is to put God's word in front of us and to challenge us with it. So here's your crutch for now, you're weak, you need strength, here's your crutch for now, you'll... uh, um, uh, hopefully, uh, in months to come, weeks to come, uh, we'll have our Bibles open in front of us, and that's where we'll focus, and that's where we'll have our eyes um, on His truth. Again, we're going to be Psalm 87. Let's pray as we begin this message that God might speak to us with His words. Um, Father, thank you for your message to us today. You speak it in your power, and may we listen. May we truly listen. In Christ's name, amen. Psalm 87. He has founded his city on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all other dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said of you, city of God. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Philistia too and Tyre along with Cush And we'll say this one was born in Zion. Indeed of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. As they make music, they will sing. All my fountains are in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was a um, sophomore in college, I thought I knew everything. Sort of that time of life, right? You sort of, you, you think you've got it sort of figured out. Actually, to be honest, I, don't, I knew I didn't have it all figured out, but I thought I had a good handle on it. 
And um, I was going to college, I've said to you before, to be a high school history and English teacher. Um, I was just, I had just met, not long before that, this incredible lady called Kristen Rosenbaum, and we were just starting to date, and so I thought, no, that might be something that sort of works out, and we, you know, might move this forward and see where it goes. So I had some things together, uh, and, and I thought, you know, okay, this is sort of the plan. I'll be a high school history teacher, this relationship, we'll see where it goes, and I'll live in Michigan. At that point, I was thinking we were, I was going to live in Michigan um, and, and do whatever life was going to look like then. I was also, because I was, um, just for a short time only actually, um, I was an athlete on my college's campus. I was part of a group uh, that many of you are familiar with called Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Ben Mulder, who's um, a member here, is actually our regional director for Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And um, he, he leads an organization that I participated with. We had a club on campus to meet and talk about things of Jesus and fun times and gatherings and different things that we did together. And there was always free food, college student free food. Absolutely, I'm going, right? So um, I go to a fellowship of Christian athletes um, meeting, having things generally figured out in my life. And as we're meeting, we, someone played the guitar, we sang some worship songs, somebody got up and gave a little talk. Um, we were sort of sitting around the cookie and pizza table afterwards, talking with some friends. And the, the faculty sponsor, one of the staff on campus of the college where I was going, came up to me um, and several others, I wasn't alone, and said, hey, um, I need your help. We actually have something coming up that I need some volunteers for, and I think you folks would be good um, to help out with that. It's actually a lock-in at Forest Hills Central. Now, um, Forest Hills Central is a local public school, and they were going to have a gathering of four to 500 um, high school athletes, and they were going to have games and prizes and all this different stuff, and they were going to have small groups with worship and all the stuff that many of you are aware of. But I wasn't aware of any of that stuff. I never went to youth group um, in the uh, church that I went to growing up. I wasn't, I had never gone to things like uh, big conventions or big student ministry activities. So this whole idea of a lock-in, I wasn't really familiar with. But I said, you know, he said, oh, by the way, there's free food. And what did I already say? Free food, I'm in, right? So we go to this thing on a Friday night. Me and a couple of friends are over. It's in this high school, big high school, 2,200 kid high school, um, gymnasium, all the great stuff that we could play with, basketballs, volleyballs, floor hockey. Um, There were drawings for stuff. They had a band. They had worship. They had talk. And then they had small groups, and they were asking us there to be small group leaders for a group of about eight to ten kids. And they gave us material coming out of the talk that the person had given um, that we were supposed to go over with our group of kids. Now, it's a lock-in, which means it's overnight from about, I don't know, eight o'clock one night until about seven, eight o'clock the next morning. So it's late night. By this time, it's one o'clock in the morning. But you're a college student, so you're still grooving. You know, I'm still going. I'm fine. No problem. And they get me this group of eight to ten. I don't remember how many there were in my small group. And we're in this little alcove in a hallway where we got to meet after the talk, we go there, and I have this material that we're supposed to go through. And what do you do if you have material and you're leading a group? You read the first question, and it has a Bible verse. You read the Bible verse, and then you ask the question, and then you listen. 
to what people have to say, right? I mean, that's what you do as a small group leader and things like that, especially because I'd never done it before. So I asked the first question and there were a number of blank stares. And of course, there was like a little Molly Suckup who answered the question perfectly right the first time, right? Every group has one of those. She did a good job. She answered it perfectly. I think it was Jesus because all questions in small groups are about Jesus. And so then um, I asked the second question. No one answers except little Molly. And it's pretty clear that there's... I'm missing something because I, I want to I wanna dig deeper. It's just it's who I always have been, but I didn't know what it meant in this context. And so I'm like, well, what do you guys want to talk about? Well, what do you, what do you, what's going on in your faith? What, what do you think about this whole Jesus thing? And it was interesting because there was one guy who just looked at me and because I, I asked, does anyone go to church? And they all put up their hand. Everyone goes to church. I said, well, what's up? What's your faith look like? And he goes, dude, my church sucks. Okay, question number three, you know? <laughs> and I asked him, I said, why does your church suck? And it proceeded into, we had a 45-minute small group time that we were supposed to go over. I think it was about 12 questions on this sheet of paper. And we got to question two and we stopped and we just talked about church and that led to talking about faith and it led to talking about Jesus and it led to talking about our own brokenness and sin and 45 minutes turned into for our group two hours. I had small group leaders from other groups coming up to me. Hey dude, there's other stuff going on. I'm like, no, no, no. We're just here. We're talking. And I came away from that night, not realizing that God had just done something incredible in me. He had just reached into my heart and planted that little bitty mustard seed that said, guess what? Someday, talking about faith and talking about Jesus is what you're going to do always. That was a beginnings that was my beginnings. I didn't realize it. it. took a couple of years for that seed to grow, sprout, take root, and grow in my life. But I fully understood by the time Kristen and I had been married a couple of years, this is who I was. This is what God had made me to be. In our passage this morning from Psalm 87. God gives us a passage about beginnings. Where do things begin for God's people? Where do things begin for you and I? Where is it that God reaches into us and plants seeds, little bitty seeds, seeds that, that show up in us and grow? Now, he gives it to us in this really unique psalm. And if you look at this psalm in relation to almost every other psalm, it is unique. There's a lot of stuff here that as we go through, you're going to have questions. You're going to wonder, well, where, where is this here? I haven't really seen that before. We know what psalms of praise look like, right? I will praise. We have that one psalm right near the end of the Psalter that says over and over uh, the same phrase, his love endures forever. We know that's a psalm of praise. We know that there are those psalms like Psalm 30. 
13 that are psalms of questions. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? We know, of course, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. It's a psalm of comfort. But here we have a psalm. What kind of psalm is it? Yeah, it's a psalm of ascent. An ascent psalm simply means it's a sort of psalm that you sing or think about or read as you're getting ready to go up into worship. But look at some of the material. This is unique. It's a little weird. It's a little unusual. It's a little wacky. But in this unique psalm, God has this big message for us about our beginnings. The beginning of the psalm. He's making it clear right from the beginning what God's relationship is with his city. We see in verse 1 and verse 2, he has set his foundations on the holy mountain. We see the Lord loves the gates of Zion. God has a special love for his city. In fact, if we read the psalm, and especially when we read all the way through the book of Revelation, at the very end we see that his city, Zion, Jerusalem, is the center point of the whole world, of all the universe. This is his place. And although he loves the whole world, he loves all of his creation, he has a unique space, a unique relationship in his heart for the city of Zion. We see that here because he set it up and he loves it. He doesn't say that in the text about other places in the same way. This is a unique spot. Now, the center part is where it starts to get weird. Read with me, beginning at verse 3. Glorious things are said of you, city of God. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me, Philistia too, and Tyre, along with Cush, and will say this one was born in Zion. Now, how many of you know exactly what that means? How many of you even understand who those things are, what those places are that are mentioned? Some of us maybe. We, we know what Babylon is, right? What's Babylon? It's a place of exile, right? Where do they go when they get exiled from, the Jews get exiled from, from Israel? Where do they go? They go to Babylon. What if I told you that Rahab actually stands for another place? Anybody know what that place is? It's Egypt and Ethiopia. It's the south. So we get Babylon to the east. We get Rahab is Ethiopia and Egypt to the south. What's, what's Israel's relationship like with Egypt? Is it a good one? No. In fact, Egypt is the country where they were stuck in slavery. So we have one named place that is a place of exile. We have another named place, which is a place of slavery. And then we get the next one. It's, what is it? Philistia. Who comes from Philistia? Philistines. Oh, they're good guys in scripture, aren't they? Who's the famous Philistine? Goliath, right? And what do Goliath and the Philistines do to Israel? They stand on a mountain on the other side of the valley from Israel and they taunt them. And the reason that they taunt them is they're actually stronger and better than Israel is. They're big people. 
They're a strong nation. In fact, right now, right even as we speak, there are people in Israel in what is considered Philistia, doing archaeological digs of the Philistines, and they're finding that they are remarkably larger than almost any people group from anywhere around. Just read it the other day. This is something that's happening right now. These were tough guys. Now we do know the story that David, the great king, he wasn't yet, grabbed his five smooth stones and slew Goliath. But until that time, and at different times, especially through the history of Israel, Philistia and the Philistines beat the snot out of Israel. Literally, hundreds of thousands of Israelites were killed by them. So, so far, we've got Babylon, place of exile. We've got Egypt, a place of slavery. And then we have Philistia. It's a place of death. And then we get Tyre and Cush. Well, so far, if you think about your compass points, you've got Babylon that's east. And you have uh, Rahab, which is south. And you have Philistia, which is west. So what do we got left? We got north. What's north? Tyre and Cush. That's also known as Assyria. Assyria sound familiar to anybody? It's the other place of exile. And look what verse, look what the verse says at the end of it. Verse 4 says at the end of, end of it, and we'll say, this one was what? Born where? Exile, slavery, death, and exile, all born in Zion. Anyone else think this is a little bit of a unique psalm so far? We got some wackiness going on. What is the, the psalmist telling us? What are we hearing here? Well, there's three things. First of all, for us to hear that this is a song of ascent that was meant to be played during what? Festivals. And these festivals were times when what? There would be Jews from all over the known world. The four compass points of geography would come to Jerusalem, would come to Zion in order to worship at the temple. And if this psalm was sung, what would they hear? They would hear the place where you're from has its birth in Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. No matter where you are, in your place of exile, in your place of slavery, in your place of death, no matter where you are, you are in a place where God has put you. God has been born in you. God is present there. You, no matter where you come from, are a child of Zion. Then we also get the second idea. They're the compass points. The compass points of the known world. So you're hearing wherever you go, whether you go to Babylon, whether you go to Egypt, whether you go to some nameless place to do God's work, whether you go here or there, whether you go to the heights of the height or to the depth of the depths, from the east to the west, there is God and he dwells there. It is his place, Rahab or Babylon or Cush 
or Tyre or Philistia. God is in all of them. And of course, thirdly, we hear that these are the enemies of God's people over and over in the Old Testament. These are the people who sought to destroy Israel. These are the people who sought to wipe them from the face of the earth. That was the intention of the king of Babylon. That was the intention of the king of Assyria. That was the intention of Pharaoh in Egypt. They wanted the Jews gone. They wanted Israel gone because they were too much of a pain to have around. Let's get rid of them. Read your book of Exodus. Read your book of Judges. Read your history of Israel. And you hear that there were peoples, tribes, and nations bent on destroying Israel. These are enemies of God. And yet, what do we hear in this psalm? The enemies have their source in God himself. God is at work even through the enemies of himself. Now hear that for today. Hear that for this moment. Name your enemy of faith. Name your enemy of the church. Name your enemy of Christianity. Name your enemy of Jesus. Maybe you call it a militant jihadist Islam. Maybe you call it a culture that is bent on death or destruction or bent on pleasure and not seeking to be accountable to anyone for anything. These are enemies of faith. Or an academic world that seeks to explain all without the mystery and faith of God. You can name any enemy you want. And the psalm reminds us that no matter what enemies they believe they are of God. God himself has given them birth. He birthed. He birthed the prophet Muhammad. Do you believe that? Think about that. He birthed the prophet Muhammad. I don't know where else. He birthed Hugh Hefner. He birthed Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Ooh. I want my money back on that deductible. But he birthed all of this. And if he birthed all of this, then they are his creations. And God in his creation fashions and forms things in his plan and purpose that they may give him glory for his purpose in his plan in his time. God has a purpose for militant jihadist Islam. Can we believe that? God has a purpose even for things like racial violence. God has a purpose and a plan for corrupt law enforcement officials. You didn't think you were going to hear that when you got to church this morning, did you? But it is the truth. And it is the truth that we are reminded of in the text over and over again. God doesn't care who he uses to bring him glory. He can use you, a faithful, loving, graceful follower of Jesus Christ. But he can equally use the fool in their own foolishness who seeks through violence to destroy and bring bloodshed to whomever they want. God is The all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God everywhere on the compass point, in every enemy and ally, in every place and in every time. And you and I need to take some comfort in that because ultimately, 
It is for the redemption of his city. It's for the fullness of God coming into this world. And we know we long more for the fullness of God to come. But we get to the close of the psalm. We hear this in verses 5 and 6. Indeed of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. The Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. Zion. God is in relationship with all people. God is in relationship in the mountains and the valleys of Afghanistan where the Taliban are. God is in relationship with them. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what's going on. But I know he's there. Just as God is in relationship with us. And I can say the same thing. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what's going on all the time. But I know he's here. God is in relationship with all of creation. And he writes down on his register who his people are. It's on God. God's the one in control here. It's not me. I am not capable of being the judge. I'm not capable of having that kind of wisdom or discernment to say who's who and what's what. Who's included? Who is welcomed into the gates of Zion and who is not? Who is barred from entering into God's presence and who is welcomed with open arms? I'm not foolish enough to believe that everyone in this room sitting here right now will be welcomed. I'm not a fool enough to believe that. There's too many of us here who have waited. We've pushed God off. We've said, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to give up everything. I don't want to submit to you. I don't want to follow you. I'm just going to show up. I'm going to put a warm butt on a cold pew, and I'm just going to hang out. I'm not going to let you do whatever it is that you want to do in me. I'm not that foolish. And I'm also not that foolish to believe that there are people in other places on this planet who we would exclude who aren't going to be there at the front door welcoming us as a brother and sister in Christ. This psalm is a reminder of God's being the judge. God's being the savior. God being the one in control. It is his city, and he's constructing it how he wants to. But if you've been listening so far, there's one thing that I haven't said. This is one of those psalms that if you're not looking closely, you miss it. Verse 7 is this. And they make music. They will sing. All my Fountains are in you. Now, when you read that phrase, of course, I know what you're all thinking. (laughs) Nice song we sing, right? But how many of you thought about fountains in the text before you heard that song? Not very much. You might have, if I change the word to springs... Or streams, you might have thought about it a little differently. But here we have it as fountains. Guess what? 
Jesus is showing up in the city of God in the Old Testament in Psalm 87. Hello, Jesus. Welcome. All my fountains are in you. Connect the dots. John 7, verse 38. Out of you, if you believe in me, will spring up streams of living water. Streams that give life. Streams that to a dead and dry desert bring fertility and hope and life and a place to live. Without Jesus being the fountain of the city of God, it doesn't have the life it does with him there. For us to hear that this city that God has created, that this city that God has put together in us, his people, has the source of its life and its power and its grace in Jesus Christ. And to be reminded that without Jesus, unfortunately, in this world, in this life, there is only death. Hear me here, brothers and sisters. You who are warm butt and cold pew, without Jesus, you've got nothing. Without Jesus, watch your nightly news with abject disappointment, despondency, anger, and doubt. Because without Jesus, there is no hope for any sort of reconciliation. Without Jesus, there is no way we're going to navigate the complexities of a bizarre and broken and messed up world. Because this, it's too hard. It's too hard. And I don't take my hope for reconciliation of all these things in a political party or in Pennsylvania Avenue or in Sacramento or in City Hall. I don't take my hope for any of these things coming in my own ability, my own heart, my own capacity. I don't even, as good of a people as you are in your messed upness, I don't even take the hope that I have in the reconciliation of just how good you are. I take my hope in Jesus Christ. Because without him, all of that stuff is just, as we hear, a banging gong, a clashing cymbal. It means nothing. Sound of wind and fury signifying nothing. But with him, the fountain. The fountain that brings life. The fountain brings hope. Enemies are brought close. The whole world knows. And God is present in all of it through the fountain that is Jesus Christ. As you go from this place this morning, go out of this place. This is going to sound funny, especially for some of you who may have some challenges. Leaking. Go out of here leaking. Fountain of life is in you. Go out and leak it. Leak it around the world. You've been given the spring, go and spring forth. You go to your workplace, spring forth. Go to your neighborhood, spring forth. Be love, be love to a neighbor. Be water that brings hope to a family member. Be life to those who are in death because you have the spring that flows out through you. Go, show the world. The fountain is in him. Let's pray together. Living God,
You are in all things. You are everywhere. You are in the brokenness of this world, and you are in the wholeness of your people. You are in the sin of racism. You are in the evil of pride and arrogance. You are present in those spaces and places where, Lord, we do not think you can dwell. Because even though you are holy, you are also grace and love. You love creation. And because you love your creation, every square inch of it is claimed by you. May we understand that. May we not doubt nor fear that, Father, you are at work. You simply call us to go to the fountain, drink deep from the well that never runs dry, that is Jesus Christ, and then, Lord, go out into the world and spring forth to the darkness that consumes it. Spring forth to those broken places that need wholeness, spring forth in the places of hate that need love. You call us, Lord, to carry you, the spring of living water, the fountain. You call us to carry you that others might want to come to the fountain too. We pray these things all in Christ. Amen.